Chapter Thirty Six of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Molly's Prince by Rosa Nushet Carey. Chapter Thirty Six See the Conquering Hero Comes that man that hath a tongue i say is no man if with his tongue he cannot win a woman two gentlemen of verona love looks not with the eyes but with the mind and therefore is winged cupid painted blind a midsummer night's dream as moritz drove to cleveland terrace he carefully rehearsed his part as he had already rehearsed it a dozen times before i am going to see your sister this afternoon he had said to noel at breakfast that morning miss molly i mean have you any message for her no only my love and that sort of thing returned noel coolly as he cut himself another slice of bread and then contrary to his custom for he was one of the most talkative and sociable of men ingram relapsed into silence feels a bit grumpy i fancy thought noel with a suppressed grin if i ever have a young woman i wonder if i should feel in that way why the poor old chap has had hardly any breakfast and noel shook his head solemnly and adjusted his pince-nez and then helped himself liberally to the cold game pie ingram's knowledge of invalids and sick-rooms was purely rudimentary he had a theory that sick people must be treated like children they must be coaxed amused and made as cheerful as possible there must be no agitation no bringing forward of exciting or perplexing topics no undue warmth of expression and feeling i must be perfectly cool and quiet ingram said to himself as he came in sight of the house i must not let her see what i have gone through all this time monsieur blackie must take no liberties he must be just kind and friendly but as the broughton stopped ingram looked a little pale although he put on his usual sprightly air as he went up the courtyard pride must have its fall says the old proverb and perhaps ingram who was an idealist relied a little too much on his theories and good intentions as donwell would have said he was too cocksure of himself anyhow when anne of the heavy foot ushered him up to the old studio where he and everard ward had passed so many hours of misery and suspense and he saw molly's sweet face flushing and paling with shy pleasure ingram found himself unable to say a word for the sudden choking sensation in his throat he could only stand there like a fool holding the little thin hand that molly had silently held out to him won't you sit down observed molly 
faintly but her lips trembled as she spoke for ingram's dumb emotion almost frightened her it was so unlike her dear old friend monsieur blackie to stand there without a word of kindly greeting molly's flower-like face grew painfully suffused do please sit down she faltered with a growing sense of discomfort and helplessness ingram did as he was bid but he did not relinquish her hand molly he said and his eyes were dim with a man's trouble and the passionate tenderness that he was trying bravely to repress was so evident in his voice and manner that even molly innocent and guileless as she was thrilled in every nerve perhaps i had better go away he stammered i shall tire you agitate you if i stay i must not say what i think and by heaven i cannot talk platitudes when you have come back from the very valley of the shadow of death molly shall i go for i cannot answer for myself if i remain why should you go returned molly piteously i thought it would be so nice to see you and i wanted so to thank you you have done so much for me waveney told me that you would not like to be thanked but indeed indeed i am grateful grateful to me returned ingram indignantly he dropped her hand molly do you wish to pain me that you say such things to me gratitude when i would willingly give you everything i possess unsay those words my darling he pleaded passionately don't you know that i love you better than anything in the world oh molly dearest if i had lost you i think i should have mourned for you all my life ingram was certainly not acting up to his theory monsieur blackie had utterly forgotten his role he had promised himself to keep perfectly cool and collected to be kind and friendly and to avoid all emotion or excitement but before ten minutes had passed he was pouring out his pent-up feelings oh molly dear molly he went on in a broken voice for molly shaken and agitated had hidden her face in her hands all this time i have been trying to win you i want you to be my sweet wife to give me the right to watch over you all my life darling do you think you can care for poor monsieur blackie a little i do care sobbed molly how can i help it when you have been so good to me i think but molly whispered this with her soft cheek pressed against his shoulder as he knelt beside her i think i have cared for you all this time and perhaps that moment's ecstasy fully repaid moritz for all the pain of the last few weeks moritz behaved very well on the whole while the first few minutes of beatitude were over molly's pale cheeks and tearful eyes reminded him that she was an invalid and he forbore to overwhelm her with his delight and gratitude 
he sat beside her talking quietly while molly lay back on her pillows in languid happiness listening to her lover he was telling her how proud he was of his sobriquet and that no other name would ever be so dear to him as monsieur blackie i hope you will always call me by that name molly darling to you i would always be monsieur blackie but moritz is so much prettier she objected and monsieur blackie would be so long for daily use then ingram hastened to explain in his eager way that he had not meant that of course his wife how molly blushed at that must call him moritz but he never intended to lose his dear old title wave often calls you the black prince returned molly with a low laugh oh dear how wonderful it all seems do you know very shyly i never imagined that any one would ever care for me because of my lameness are you sure that you do not really mind it and here molly's voice grew anxious and even sad i am so awkward and clumsy you know noel often calls me the wobbly one noel will never call you that again returned ingram quite sternly i gave him a good lecture the other day why molly dearest you are simply perfect in my eyes i am afraid to tell you how lovely and dear i think you the wonder is that you could ever bring yourself to care for me for as gwen says i am about as ugly as they make em continued ingram in his quaint way and then molly laughed again although though there were tears in her eyes of sheer joy and gratitude molly was very humble on the subject of her own merits she had no conception how ingram worshipped her sweetness and beauty his crowning triumph had been that monsieur blackie and not viscount ralston had won her love when may laugh at me and call me a fool he thought but her sarcasm and smart speech will not trouble me in the least i have played my little game and got my innings and the loveliest and dearest prize in the world is mine and then he fell to musing blissfully on the surprise in store for his sweetheart what would molly say when he showed her her future home what would she think of brentwood hall and the silent pool and the big conservatory that gwen had called their winter garden and the long picture gallery where in an obscured corner king canute hung as large as life moritz smiled happily to himself as he thought of the family diamonds over which gwen had gloated and which he had vainly entreated her to wear jack would not like it gwen had answered gravely they are for the future lady ralston not for me how glad he was now that gwen's unworldliness and good sense had been proof against the temptation for in those days how was he to know that a certain sweet molly ward 
would steal away his heart when molly asked him a little curiously why he was smiling moritz returned without a moment's hesitation that he was merely thanking heaven that she was not rich in worldly goods molly opened her eyes rather widely at this i mean dear that i shall so love to give you all you want he said tenderly but but you are not really rich are you asked molly of course i know you are not poor because of all the lovely things you have given me and and but here molly stopped she had not the courage to mention sir hindley's fees no i am not poor returned ingram quietly i have had a nice little property left me by a relative we shall be very comfortable dear and when you are my wife you will not have to bother your poor little head with making ends meet for once he discovered molly shedding tears over her battered little housekeeping book because she had exceeded the week's allowance it was only seven and six pence or some such paltry sum but molly was covered with shame at her own carelessness and ingram who was even in those early days head over ears in love longed to take her in his arms and kiss the tears away yes i think we shall be very comfortable darling went on ingram somewhat hypocritically as he membered with secret glee his thirty thousand a year then as even his inexperienced eyes detected signs of exhaustion in molly's increasing paleness he somewhat quickly dropped the subject molly was not merely tired she was dazed with the wonderful new happiness that had come to her in spite of her love of pretty things her little girlish vanities and harmless ambitions she was far too simple-minded to be really worldly if moritz in the old approved fairy-tale fashion had suddenly filled her lap with diamonds and emeralds they would only have dazzled molly's tired eyes later on perhaps these baubles and adjuncts of rank and wealth would gratify and delight her but at this present moment she would have regarded them with indifference it was the man moritz ingram whom she wanted it was monsieur blackie with all his quaintness his oddities and eccentricities his old-world chivalry and true manly tenderness whom molly loved and honoured molly with all her simplicity and childliness had been wiser than most women in going straight to the root of the matter it was nothing to her that her chosen lover was short of stature a small dark man with a sallow skin and closely cropped hair that would have done credit to a convict molly saw nothing but the kind dear eyes and pleasant smile and she would not have exchanged him for any adonis though he stood six feet in his stockings moritz's conscience was uneasy more than once he had made an effort to go 
but Mollie's soft little hand had kept him a willing prisoner. Waveney will be here directly, she said. She has promised to make tea for us. And at that very moment Waveney entered the room. The lamp had not been lighted, and only the firelight threw a flickering, uncertain glow over the two faces before her. But something in Mr. Ingram's attitude, in the very atmosphere of the warm, flower-scented room, made Waveney's heart beat with quick, sympathetic throbs. "'Oh, what is it?' she said, stumbling a little in her haste. But, as she put out her hands to save herself, Ingram caught them in his own. "'My little Samaritan,' he said affectionately, "'do you know I am going to be your brother? Will you wish me joy, dear?' And then, in his airy foreign fashion, Moritz lifted her hand to his lips. "'My brother!' gasped Waveney. Well, she had expected it, but all the same she felt a little giddy. Molly's prince had come, as she knew he would, and would carry Molly away. "'Darling, come here!' And Molly stretched out her arms almost piteously. "'Wave, why do you stand there?' as though you were turned to stone don't you want me to be happy she whispered as waveney at this appeal knelt down beside her oh molly returned poor waveney i know that i ought to be glad and i am glad but with a sob that would not be kept back but but i have lost my old sweetheart never returned molly energetically and her arms were around her sister's neck as she spoke. Wave, dear, you must not say such things. Nothing, nothing can ever come between us, or make our love less. Kiss me, darling, she went on, and promise me that you will never say that again. And then, as Waveney stooped over her, she whispered in her ear, After all, I have found out the best way of thanking him. Perhaps it was as well that Nurse Helena made her appearance at that moment with the lamp, and so broke up the agitated little group. Waveney got up, feeling rather guilty, when Nurse Helena commented somewhat severely on Molly's flushed and tired face. There has been too much talking, she said in her quiet, authoritative voice. Miss Molly must have her tea and go upstairs and rest. And then she regarded Ingram rather suspiciously. Nevertheless, when she went out of the room, there was an amused twinkle in the nurse's gray eyes. When Anne brought the, up the tea tray, Waveney was assiduous in her attentions to Molly and her fiancé. She chatted to Ingram in her old frank way. Molly was to rest and listen to them. She was to enjoy her tea and the delicate tongue sandwiches that Nurse Helena had cut so carefully. But Nurse Helena was right, and there must be no more talking. And then she amused them both by retailing to them the corporal's odd speeches. Directly tea was over, Ingram took his leave. Before Nurse Helena turns me out, he observed, with a laugh, 
Waveney, who waited for him outside, was somewhat taken aback at the length of the farewell. Parting is such sweet sorrow, she said to herself, but she sighed as she said it. Waveney, who was bitten with the same disease, was certainly not disposed to be hypercritical on the behavior of the lovers. She had a few words with Molly before nurse came to claim her charge. Oh, Wave, I cannot understand it, Molly exclaimed, and her eyes looked bright and excited. Fancy me being engaged before you. I, who never expected to have a lover of my own. Dearest, you must love him for my sake. He is so good. Oh, there is no one like him and molly seemed almost appalled at the magnitude of her bliss waveney had promised to wait for her father he was to put her into the train and althea had directed her to take a cab from durham station straight to the red house everett was somewhat later than usual and they had only a little while together he listened to the wonderful news with the air of a man who had fully expected it i knew ingram would steal a march on us he said rubbing his hands together i told him to wait until the child was stronger and i thought he agreed to this but you can never depend on a man when he is in love and so molly really cares for him went on everard in a pleased voice well she is a sensible girl and does me credit as for ingram he is a capital fellow a son-in-law after my own heart went on everard with a smile that perplexed waveney it was so mysterious and yet so full of amusement end of chapter thirty six recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c